We're continuing on in our series in Acts called Our Hearts Burn Within. And today we arrive at two, two figures in the Bible, two, two people, that two men we're going to hold up next to each other. And it's ironic that God has brought us to this. Like this has not been planned. We're just walking right through Acts. And what we have in the story is two men who have been brought into a radically generous community. And in this community... They are both given a challenge. It's a difficult challenge for each of them. And they respond, both respond with generosity. However, one of them does it out of grace and with a pure heart. And the other's generosity, well, it's, it's not so pure. Um, his motives are wrong. And it, in the trajectory of these two men's lives are radically changed because of their posturing, because of the motivation behind their generosity. In fact, one would go on to change the fabric of society in our world today, and one would just drop dead. It's, 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 it's terrifying, actually, what we see. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at our relationship with other people's opinion of us, in our relationship with generosity. And it, what we're going to see is our relationship with these two things will determine our future. One will lead to a bold life and one will lead to a wasted life. So we're going to be in Acts 4. I'm going to read verse 11 and then we're going to jump to verse 31 and we're going to read all the way through chapter 5, verse 5. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone or the foundation stone. Then verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down. And breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. All right, let's look at the two men and the story that's leading up to this moment. So days earlier, 
there was a crippled man who was begging. And Peter and John walk next to this crippled man and he asks them for money. And Peter and John say, we don't have anything to give you, but we have something better. Rise up and walk. And this 40-year-old man who's been crippled all of his life rises up and walks. And this miracle starts spreading throughout all the land. And the large crowd gathers. Among those are likely Ananias and Barnabas. And they're gathering and they're listening. And the leader of this movement, Peter, steps forward. And he addresses them. And he says, you right now, you're looking at this miracle. But I want to point you to the source of it all. The thing from which it all came from. It's the resurrection of Christ, the one that we now build the foundation of our lives upon. Everything is changing. The course of history is new and different because this has happened. And also among the crowd is likely the religious elite of the day. So Peter and John are arrested by the religious elite, thrown in jail, and then put to trial the next day. They walk into this trial, and before them is the Sanhedrin, which are the same people that put the death sentence upon Christ. Peter knows it. John knows it. They know who they're up against. They're feeling the weight of it. Yet in front of them, these men say, Peter and John, you will no more speak the name of Jesus. And they say, There is nothing else we will speak but his name. This is why we are here. We will say nothing else. And the boldness of them in the face of the Sanhedrin probably spreads. And then once they're released because they can't hold them. By the way, this is the beginning of the plot to kill Peter. They let them go. And this great crowd gathers and says, what's next? And that is when the church forms. This community of people, that, and, and it says about this community of people that they were, are of one heart and mind, which is another word in that culture for friendship. This is an unlikely group of friends because Aristotle earlier, who is setting the culture of the day by a lot of his writings, he says, you cannot have friendship across socioeconomic barriers. In other words, rich people can't be friends with poor people. It's too difficult. The relationship just doesn't work. But then we have this community come along, and there are genuine and deep friendships that are toppling over these barriers. Now, how did this happen? Well, and again, remember, Barnabas and Ananias are there. When when we understand the grace and what Jesus has done for us, here's what it does. If, 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 If you have a lot of money, You could become prideful and conceited about your hard work and what you've accomplished. But then all of a sudden, you you have this this real encounter and awareness of your sin in front of the face of God. And the weight of it like crushes you into into the dirt. And you become very aware of your sin and it's painful. And then there you discover grace and you're lifted back up. The same thing with the poor, who maybe they're not up here, but they're here, but they still got some pride about a a bit of things. And so then, well, they feel the weight of their sin. They're crushed into the dirt, and then they're lifted up with grace, by grace. All of these people are looking around at each other saying, oh, you too. You felt the dirt, like you felt the sin, the weight of it all, but then you were lifted up. And all of a sudden, the foundation 
that which society was built upon, which was money, is no longer the foundation, but the foundation becomes Christ. And they're all standing upon this foundation of Christ, worshiping God, saying, you too, you too, and there's brotherhood. There's love. And when that happens, then this radical generosity starts showing up. In fact, it's so, it says there's no poor among them. Now, this is pointing back to, the, to Deuteronomy, this book way long time ago in the Bible, that makes this prophecy of what is to come, this world that is to come, where there will be no poor. And it's, po- it's pointing forward to the celestial shores of heaven. But we see a glimmer of it here in our verses. Now, how did this happen, too? Well, in verse 31, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, okay. What does that mean? Because back in Acts 2, we're told they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. So are they being filled with the Holy Spirit again? And the answer is this. You can imagine, well, you can know something in your mind, but it's different knowing something in your mind and tasting it. So you think of it like this. There's a new restaurant, and all your friends have gone, and they are raving about it. And you haven't gone yet. So you start doing the research. You look up the chef, and the chef's just, he's good. And then you start researching where the food comes, and it's being brought in from all these exotic places. I mean, you're just getting excited. And then you research the staff, and you're like, wow, they're spoiling people. So you're so excited to get there. You come, and you sit down, and you have your meal with friends. And it's the best meal you've ever had. And you're sharing it with your friends. Now you have finally tasted and seen how great this restaurant is. But then, for two months, you haven't been back. You remember in your mind what it was like, but then you finally return and you taste it all over again. This is what's happening. They're being filled again. Like, it's God, all the glory, beauty, and worth of God in their mind is now becoming real to them all over again. And they're tasting and seeing it. And when this happens, Barnabas, we see, has tasted grace. But Ananias, from the story, I think we have to conclude grace is bitter to him. For whatever reason, he does not like the taste of it. So here, let's look at the two men. So Barnabas... He's there, he's heard the message, he's been gathered, he's joined the community, and then all of a sudden this community starts being radically generous. This is a problem for Barnabas, because Barnabas is a Levite, which means he's a priest. And for the Levites, they never had land. They were nomads, they were wanderers, they were spread out over all of Israel so that they could serve the people as priests. They were ministers. They had no land. But here, Barnabas has land. This is rare. This is something that he probably prizes. And here, what does he do? He sells the land, his great possession, and just lays the money down at the disciples' feet, at the apostles' feet. And this Barnabas would go on. This this man is so wonderful that they change his name. His name was Joseph. They change it to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So we're talking about friendship. He's a friend above all other friends because what he's always doing is he's always lifting people up into the calling that God has given him. He's the... He is the traveling companion of Paul, the one who starts like all of the churches in the area, who's written half of the New Testament. You've got Barnabas just always encouraging him. Come on, Paul. God's called you to this. God's called you to this. And... 
And some say that Barnabas is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But if you've ever read Hebrews and you know the Bible a bit, you would say it makes sense that this would come from a priest or a Levite. So he changes the world, this man. And then we have Ananias. He's drawn by the miracle. He hears the good news. He joins the community. And then here's his predicament. And we, and we have to pull this out from the story. It's right in the story. But you have to use your context clues. Ananias, he worries what people say about him. He's working on his reputation. And also, he's building his life on money. And so he's got a predicament because everyone's being generous. If he wants to be loved by people, well, in his mind, he must offer and be generous. But also, he wants to hold on to the money. So what's he going to do? He's going to make up a, he's got, he's going to devise a plan that basically makes it look like he's being generous, but he's holding some of the money back. Well, his plan doesn't work because Peter finds out about it. And Peter says, Ananias, you did not have to give anything. You could have kept the land. There was nothing forcing you to do this. This is just by discovering the grace of God. You want to do it. and You don't have to. But now you're coming in here and you're claiming one thing that is not true. And then he says, you, your heart has been filled by Satan. And then he drops dead. Now, what it seems to me has happened here is he's feeling the weight of his sin when Peter calls him out. And it's, he's, he's tasting the stink of his sin and judgment at the same time, the judgment of God. It's like weighing down on him. It's overwhelming his heart. It's overwhelming his mind, and he drops dead. And he had the opportunity still to take grace. We know this from reading the rest of the Bible, that grace is always offered. And he had the opportunity here, but he didn't take it. What went wrong with him? And could it happen to you? This is our next point, fear and foundation. Ananias feared the wrong thing and built his life on the wrong thing. He had the wrong fear and the wrong foundation. Barnabas built his life on the right thing and he feared the right thing. And it led to Barnabas being filled with the Spirit and Ananias being filled with Satan. Now, okay, here's the thing about Satan. Evil is real. Evil has a mascot, and his name is Satan. And Satan has just entered into him. This is terrifying stuff. This is like horror movie type stuff. So he, here's, here's what has happened. And then we read on. It said, at the very end, fear fell upon all who heard of it. Fear. Should you fear God? Yes. Should you fear God above everything else? 100% absolutely. But it's complicated. Because it's to, it's to understand that your sin, that you can't escape, is like haunting you. And you're in this prison of sin and it's weighing down on you. And the judgment of it all, like if, when God looks at you, he has wrath for your sin. He, like there's judgment coming and it's to interact with God and to understand that about him and to be absolutely terrified of that. Yet at the same time, it's to be in awe of the grace that is being offered to you when you become deeply aware of your sin. 
So it's like you have two cups in front of you. There's the cup of wrath and the cup of grace. And if you don't drink the cup of grace, you're going to be drinking the cup of wrath. Ananias wouldn't drink grace. Why? Because of what he feared and what his foundation was built upon of his life. Because you always obey what you fear the most. And you always obey what you build your life upon. So if you're building your life upon money, you'll fear losing it, but you will always obey money. And whatever money tells you to do, you will do that very thing. It's controlling you. Acceptance. Money says, earn me no matter the cost, and I'll provide. Acceptance says, earn me no matter the lie, and I'll make you cherished and loved. Now, okay, you're smart people. You've got to be thinking this right now. I probably care about what people think of me more than I should. And I probably worry about money a whole lot more than I should. So there's a warning here, like, you're capable of this. So what do you do? You've got to test your heart. You've got to see the way you're interacting with money and what people say about you. So let's look at it. First, your relationship with your reputation. This is not saying don't care what others say about you. There's probably some people who are wise in this room that could offer you some wisdom, and you should care what they have to say. What it's saying is you should always care more of God's opinion than anybody else's opinion. And as soon as you start caring about what others say about you more than God does, then people become the God of your life. And whatever the God of your life is, you're obeying. And so if you're obsessed with like people loving you or people approving of you, then you're going to always be thinking, how do I live my life so that people will love me, so people will cherish me, so people will approve of me? And then you have this God of your life that's ruling you. And you're going around like, yes, I'm obeying God. No, you're not. You're obeying people because you fear their disapproval most. Your foundation of your life is built on that. Ananias lies because he fears man, wants status, he wants love, he wants approval. So what's the remedy of that? Well, there's, there's a verse in Isaiah that, that talks about God remembers us more, he thinks of us more than a mother who is nursing her child. Like, like a mother will not forget her child that is nursing at her breast. There's something that's happening to women, like when they're nursing their child, there's all these chemicals going off in the brain, and they're turning into this mama bear that's like, I will protect this child no matter what the cost is. And God loves you like that. He will fight for you like that. And he loves you like a father. So, you know, we, th- we think of the story of the prodigal son. Essentially, the story goes like this. There's a son, and he wants his possessions that he could get from the father. Like the father's not the prize, all this stuff is the prize. So he says, I'd rather you just be dead so I can have everything. The father says, okay, go, but I love you. Come back when you're ready. And so the son goes and what he begins to do is he builds the foundation of his life upon all these experiences, about this adventure, about this freedom that he can have and the stuff that he can have. And then at some point he realizes the foundation is shaky, he loses everything, and he takes the walk of shame back home. 
And he drives up and he pulls up into the, into the driveway of, of his childhood home and he stops the car in the middle of the night and he looks up and his father's standing in the driveway. And he opens up the door and he comes out and his father runs up to him, hugs him, embraces him, says, I'm so glad you're home. I miss you. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. And the son says, Dad, it's the middle of the night. What are you doing out here? And the father says, I've come out here every night waiting for you to come home. And I'm glad you're here. And when he says it, the son finally understands the father. And he chooses the father because the father has chosen him every single night since he's been gone. And he realizes it and he loves him. And he knows him. And he's known by the father. When you have that, people's opinion of you just melts away. It means nothing anymore. Because the one who truly matters loves you like that. All right, money now. And by the way, last week, like, like we really did kind of see a glimmer of what God did here and with generosity in, in Acts. But I want to challenge us a bit. And I want to challenge us as to if we are building the foundation of our life on money and how easily that is to fall into that temptation. So, so here would be my question. What do you think about more, money or God? Because whatever you're thinking about more is likely the thing that's ruling you. So if God is your God and he's ruling you, he's teaching you, he's, you're obeying him because we always obey what we love most, we obey what we fear most, we obey the foundation of our life. And so, so we're listening to God and then God says, this is how you should use money. This is the wisest way to do it. But if money is, is on our mind more than God, then that means money is our God, our Lord, our ruler. And then money says this, watch out for God. He's going to call you to be generous. And in the back of your mind, you're just going to keep doing this with God. And you're not going to know why you're doing it. But I'll tell you why. It's because you have another God. And that God is saying to you, watch out for him. And that God is saying to you, watch out for people. Because they're needy. And the next thing you know, you're, you're isolated. You're protecting yourself because your God has said, those people, they want what you have. Stay clear. And, okay, so what's the solution to this? Like, let's say you, you realize this and you've been working on it, but you can't seem to put Christ on the throne to rule you. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you could do. It, it, you're not going to like it, but the answer is you give till it hurts. So about, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, when I was a worship leader, uh, there was a red... Gretsch power jet guitar that I wanted so bad. And it was out of my price range. So I started saving for it. And I started thinking about money too much as I was saving for it. And what was really going on, and, and you know, I disguised it. I said, this is for ministry. I'm doing this for the Lord. What was really going on is, here's what I was thinking. It's going to sound amazing. And then everyone's going to think that I'm amazing because I sound amazing. So I'm going to have like a little bit of like acclaim with the people that are in my circle. 
And that's really what I was chasing. If I'm being honest, if I'm pulling back the veil, that's what's going on. And so money became the thing that I started building my life on so I could get this, this thing so that then I could be like wonderful to people. And so instead of when I recognized it and I saw God wasn't my prize, I just took the money and I gave it to God. And when I did it, I was free. God became my prize again. And, and eventually I got the guitar. And here's what I'm not going to tell you. This wasn't a thing that was like, oh, I gave, so God gave back. God gave me more of him. And it was like I, everything clicked and I realized he's the prize. I don't need this. I don't need the acclaim of people. I don't need people to love me. He's enough. And that was the gift. And my hope for you is that if you gave like last week, that the prize would be God. And you would have gotten to like know him better. And his love and his just delight in you, not because you gave, but just because he's God and he's gracious, would just wash over you. And let me say this. If you've never given to God, or if it's been like a long time, you should. And I know we're not supposed to talk about this in the church, but, but listen, this is your heart. It's more important things than like if you like what I said or not today, because your heart's at stake. And if, I, if, if money has become an idol for you, if it's holding on to you, then your heart is at stake. You're like, like you're getting close to Ananias stuff here. And so just give. Like, not because the grove needs it. Just give because you need it. And if you're going to give, and let me say this too about giving. If you're going to be generous to like a friend or something, don't give expecting something in return. And, and I'm not actually talking about money in return. I'm talking about another kind of business relationship. When you're generous to someone, whether it's money or your time or talents or whatever, you're generous with somebody, but... You want something back from them. Like you want some honor back from them. You want them to see what you have done and be like, yeah, you're, you're a great person. Like you want, you want a little bit of praise maybe, but not out loud, but you kind of want them to know that it was you. And what you're doing now is you're not being generous anymore. You've just entered into a business relationship where you gave and what you got in return was honor. You gave, and what you got in return was friendship. You gave, and you got something in return. You bought it. And, and I think we have to be, we can't be naive, and we have to realize we're doing this. And so the solution to that is what? It's to see that Christ, who was rich in all things, became poor. And not just poor, but on the cross, he took on a debt, the debt of sin. And it was yours, it was mine, and he took it so that we could be free of that debt. And that will compel you to now live differently. And this, this truth about his love and his approval of you, and this truth about like he's cherishing you, and like money's not going to save you, but God will. When you realize that, it will make you bold. No matter the cost. It will turn you into someone like Barnabas. This is our last point. A bold life. The equation to live a bold life is to put Christ as your foundation, fearing God, 
And then when you do this, you realize you have everything you could absolutely ever want and need in him. Like he's always enough. And when he becomes always enough, nothing can be taken from you. And do you know what that means now? You can't be controlled anymore. You're like Peter. Like I know but one thing to do, and that is to preach the name of Christ. And if you tell me to stop, then it means my death. That's fine. It's all I know to do. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to do it because I know it's my purpose. And you can take nothing from me. Even if you take my life from me, I get paradise in heaven. So bring it on, whatever it is. That's freedom. You can be generous. You can be bold in love. You can, you can love people who hate you in return. Because you have enough love coming from you, from God to you that you're like this wellspring of love offering it out to the world even if they bring hate at you. Even if you're standing up for something that you know is right and it's going to give hate to you, you it doesn't matter anymore because you've got enough love coming at you. He's enough. And it means that if he's enough and your foundation is him, and you fear nothing but him, it means that when the world is experiencing a whirlwind of anxiety, you stand tall on the foundation of Christ, unmoved. It means when the darkness of sorrow is haunting the world around you, you have light in the darkness that will not run from you, but will cause darkness to flee from you. And so that means, yes, sorrow is coming at you, but you have joy at your core. And that light of your joy is keeping the sorrow from destroying you. And then let me say this, husbands and fathers. My prayer for you is that your wife and your children would look at you and say, that man fears nothing but God. And my prayer for you as your family is that when you welcome people into your home, that they would be welcomed with a deep and loving hospitality. Like a love that's willing to spoil the people that come in your house. Not because you have a lot of money, but because you see that people are worth it. They're worth, people are worth more than gold and you see them and you're willing to spoil them with your love and your, like, your time in, in giving them good food. Like That goes way further than you know. And my prayer for you if you are single is that the love of Christ would always be enough for you. In that you would not elevate the longing for a lover or the longing for a relationship over Christ. Because if you do, what's going to happen is you're going to enter that relationship. And all of a sudden, Christ decreases and that person increases. And then they are telling you and asking you to do things that are violating everything that you have been building your life upon. But it's gone now because something is more important than God. And my prayer is that his love for you would always be enough. And my prayer for all of us is that we would never fear man more than we fear God. And that we would never be ruled by money but by love for Christ. And you can do this. When you see your fearless Savior who has come down to fight for you. 
He, he had the chance to turn back. He had every right to turn back. Like it would have been nothing wrong of him to do to walk away. He's just and good. But he chose you out of love. And he saw the cost. He saw his death. And he counted your life as more worthy than his. And you know, on the cross, the weight that Ananias felt, the judgment of God that he felt, that crushed him into the dirt, that took his life, that stole the breath from him, Christ felt that a billion times over when he carried the weight of the sins of the world upon him. And in that moment, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, the judgment of God, the wrath of God is is flowing down, it's crushing him, and it's driving him into hell. And he, he does it for you. He feels all the weight of it, and then he rises up out of this hellish abyss to create a way for us out of the things that are imprisoning us, the sin that's imprisoning us, this, this foundations that we're building our life upon that are bad foundations. He's toppling them over in his resurrection. So there's a way now. And then that means something. You can be bold, and you can fight for what is good and beautiful and right, no matter the cost. Because you're fighting for love and there's nothing worth fighting for more than that. Because you've seen him love you that way and you know it's true. And so now you can fear nothing and you can stand tall and you can live a bold life for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd free us from foundations that are slippery and frail and lifeless and that we would build our foundation on you, Lord Jesus. You, the one who came and fought for us and lifted us up and set us upon you because we couldn't set ourselves upon you without you. We're too weak we're too sinful, we're too much of runners, and yet you have chased us down and shown us that it's you that we've been wanting the whole time. And I pray that you would turn us into a church that is bold, that fears nothing but you. And that we would see the affection that you have for us, the love that is mighty and strong and relentless, And that we would give ourselves over to you every morning, all over again. Because you've never left. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.